Welcome to Lillipod episode 108, Stubbornly Joyful, with Syrah and Eric Pabst. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another inspirational episode on LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are advanced certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed towards single adults and later married couples blending families. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Welcome, LilyPod listeners and LilyTube viewers to another edition of LilyPod and LilyTube. And uh, we have some special guests today. We're excited about this, and Kathy can introduce them. So take it away. Eric Pabst. Am I saying that right? Eric Pabst is a man of God, a life coach, and a computer programmer. He has five children from a previous marriage of 24 years. Through God's help and life coaching tools, he gradually came to understand the root cause of marital issues. Unfortunately, by then, it was too late to fix his marriage. He went from feeling very insecure about himself to finding peace of mind and from obsessing about meeting expectations to living in each moment. He also went from being crippled by fear to feeling safe without defensiveness and from putting up walls and masks uh, to deeply connecting with others. Over time, he has gathered and developed and refined a set of tools that are powerful and simple. In his, in his desire to help others, he has coached many people to effectively move from feeling anxious, inadequate, and discouraged, and frustrated to finding peace, fulfillment, and connection. Syra Pats, his wife, is a mother of two, a photographer, and she is obsessed with learning God's higher truths. She's been divorced for 15 years after a five-year abusive marriage. Syra was first diagnosed with breast cancer in October, 2019. She went through oh, the whole bit, chemo, mastectomy, radiation, and reconstruction and was declared NED, no evidence of disease in 2020. However, she just found out in September that it has returned and metastasized to her bones, showing up in her sternum, ninth rib, and throughout her vertebrae, hip, bones, and some other areas. It is extremely aggressive, and the doctors say it will eventually take her, but she is a fighter, and she will fight hard. She puts her trust in God and is stubborn with her joy. She has created a living list, like a bucket list, but less depressing. One is to write a book that will help people from what she has learned. She has been able to check off a few of those items thanks to the efforts of some friends, such as singing with the Tabernacle Choir and fixing her violin so she can pick it up again. Eric and Syra met in March of 2022 online as audience members in the LDS Singles Flameless Fireside podcast. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, Oh, that's us. <laughs> they were an important part of the path that led them to each other. We might ask more about that in a minute. 
Yep. She so. moved. Um, she moved from Virginia to Utah and they got married in August of this year. Uh, well, actually, I guess when this releases, it will be 2023. Um, so in um, August of 2022. Okay. They have a beautiful relationship that they call fog nine, which is like cloud nine, but beautifully anchored to the ground. Bringing safety to their relationship is very important to both of them, as well as being deeply connected emotionally, intellectually, physically, and spiritually. They are planning to be sealed on New Year's Eve in the Washington, D.C. temple. In the future, Eric plans to adopt her two children from the previous marriage and be sealed um, to them as well. He and Syrah want to change the world by helping people learn how to overcome obstacles in their relationships and deepen their connection. They hope for the miracle of being able to grow old despite her cancer. We hope and pray for that too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. We're very excited to, to get to know you better and to have our audience benefit from what you have learned in your life journey so far. Yeah, it was fun to kind of you know, watch from a distance uh, the way your relationship unfolded and and uh, happened. Yeah, so just for the benefit of our audience, I, I don't think we even knew we were involved until recently when we were on a meeting together and you guys like, oh, you were part of our love story. <laughs> so yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, okay, so, uh, so after I got divorced, um, so I got divorced just in December uh, 2021. And so I, so I started, so I started getting on Facebook, dating, meeting different people. And one of the people that I met, I was talking with, and I'd mentioned that I was a life coach and she's like, oh, I have a life coach too. And, and, oh, you should get on there. They have this really cool, like Facebook group and you should join and stuff. And it was your guys's group, the Lily group. And so, so I got on and, and there was mention of you guys having written a book, you know, your, your intentional, intentional courtship book. Uh, and um, there's a plug for you. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a good book. Good book. Thank you. Uh, we hope Syra carries through and writes her book too that that was talked about. Yes. So um, so then uh, Sherry, uh, Sh Sh Sherry, Shelly, Sherry, 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 sorry, Sherry Sherry Sherry. that's right. Yeah. So Sherry Braithwaite, she has a, uh, a she had a book club to go over your book, and I oh, thought well, that's cool. You know, that'd be cool to join. But I was like, I don't have the book yet, and they're like, Oh, that's okay. You can just join. I was like, Cool. I'll be able to hear about the book. Don't even have the book, but I can, you know, can learn about it and then, you know, have an interesting conversation about this whole being single scene that I'm just totally brand new to after 24 years. So I was like, this is perfect. So I get on there and doing the book club and then she gets interviewed on the LDS Flameless Fireside podcast, which is the one that we met on. We're both audience members in the, in the Flameless Fireside podcast. So it was kind of a trail and it started with you guys and so you started him on his path to meet me. And so we were audi both audience members and I was a regular on the Flames Fireside. Um, yes, Les is, and Everett are two of my close friends. And so- And you know what, we're doing an interview with them for I think I, cool. I remember seeing that, yeah. which I'm excited about because they are just the best people in the world. I, another I, great newlywed couple. Yeah. So we, I was a regular and he was a newbie. He was his first night. And so he, um, he came on and after the podcast, you know, we get to turn on our video and our audio and chat because it's, you know, it's a bunch of singles and everything. So we can socialize. It's called the after party. And um, so when they did that, I did my usual, I just, I love, I'm addicted to making friends. 
And so I'm like scrolling through trying to see who's new because I want to make friends, right? So I'm scrolling through, scrolling through, and I see his video and I'm like, ooh, he's cute. And then <laughs> so I was like, and I'm a just silly girl. I just love playing around and stuff. So in the chat, I put, who's the new Eric Hottie? And, <laughs> and it made him smile really big. And as soon as he smiled, I was gone. Like I was so <laughs> sold. It was like his smile said so much about him, not just, I mean, he was cute, but like, it's so much about his personality and who he was. I can't explain it. It's a gift that I have. And I just, I was kind of sold at that point. So, but yeah. Love at first sight on the flameless fireside after party. <laughs> well, it wasn't it, for me. It, took, it wasn't flameless that night. <laughs> yeah, it took, it took me a little bit more time to, to, to be a love thing, but. Yeah, because yeah. he was actually, you know, um, had his eyes set on somebody else at the time and he was kind of waiting to see what was going to happen with that, you know, but he, he didn't want to like start the process all over again. So he wasn't looking and he told me that right off. And so I said, okay, friends then, you know? And so we talked, you know, for like the next four days straight. And in those four days, we just went deep, fast and connected and yeah. Isn't it interesting how we all, sometimes we don't develop at the same pace. I think often we don't like, you know, oh, yeah. we were miles <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. That's actually something that I like to, to tell people that are dating because I'm, I joke about being an expert in dating because I've done it so much in my life, you know, 15 years single in between divorced. And then the single before the five years I was married. So, um, one thing that I always like to tell people, and so this is kind of like advice to single people is that, um, if you, if you do have an interest in somebody, you can increase your chances best by, by accepting what they have to offer. So if, if it's just being a friend, then accept their friendship and, and, and revel in it and, they, and, you know, um, cherish it, build it and everything, because through that can open other opportunities and maybe it won't, but that's the best way that you can increase your chances of doing it. Well, not only that, but it makes being single so much more pleasant when we have It friends. does. Okay. And it's so much more fun because I figured I can't lose. I either end up with something more or I end up with the, an incredible friend and there's a loss. Right. I, 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 oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. So yeah. So like when I was, so this, this other person, I, I, I was with her for a little bit and then she ran into an old boyfriend or whatever and, and wanted to see where that would go. And so I was, you know, so I was kind of like in limbo, you know, I was just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to wait and see, you know, see what happens with that and, and all this. So, so I wasn't looking and, and I, you know, and, you know, here's Sarah, and plus she's from Virginia, and I'm like in Utah, like He's that's like, like forever away from me you know, as far as distance. And so, so I was like, but I was really lonely. You know, I was just like, you know, I was just like I'd been dating really heavy, you know, a bunch several people and trying to get out there and and see what was see what you know see what I could find and what kind of a a partner or match I could find and everything. And so it was, it was like three weeks of not dating like at all. And so then to have somebody to even just talk to was like just really nice. That yeah, like that connection <laughs> makes a lot of difference in, yeah. in your level of happiness. Yeah. Syra, I want to ask you, um, I know I, I know Eric was pretty recently divorced and you were like 15 years ago or something like that. So how did you maintain your hope, your joy and all of that through that 15 year wilderness period? 
I will say it was one of the hardest things to do that I've ever done, even more than facing cancer. Because, uh, you know, you go a few years, you start thinking, oh, what's going on? Something wrong with me. Five years, you know, hits and you're like, well, I guess I'm one of the late bloomers, whatever, you know, the latecomers and 10 years. But by 15 years, you're going, something is wrong or I am not supposed to get married in this life, you know? And, and I had this mentality that I, my odds were not going to go up. My chances were not going to go up if I didn't get out there and, and, and uh, do the footwork, you mm -hmm. know, I didn't get out there and start dating. So I literally, it was, I looked for every opportunity and I, with every situation, I was determined to learn something, even if it didn't go anywhere so that, and, and I always, I, I told my husband all the time that when I dated somebody, I also tried to um, tried to preserve um, something from that relationship. So even if the relationship didn't work, I tried to, if I could, remain friends with the person. You know, I, I tried to make it a very amicable, you know, uh, split up or whatever. So that and, and I and I fully expressed my my respect for them and my gratitude and everything, so that I could do that you know, and pull value. And then those 15 years doesn't feel like such a loss or such a price or a cost, you know? Um, and the biggest thing that helped me through besides just focusing on trying to improve myself, that was one of the biggest things, um, was staying close to the Lord because the Lord was the one that even with the situations, I've had a couple of situations where I, I dated a guy one in particular was like, there was nothing wrong with him. There was no red flags, nothing. He's, I still think he's a great guy, but the Lord said no. And I just, it was so frustrating because I was going, help me father, why? It's always no, there's always something wrong. There's always something missing. And so. Did you ever feel like you were constantly in a Joseph Smith situation where you're looking for truth and God just, <laughs> nope, not that one, not that one, none of them. It's funny that you say that because the answer is yes. And I actually went to on my mission to Rochester, New York, where it's so like I, I <laughs> that's pretty there. close to Palmyra. Yeah. Well, I my area was Palmyra. So right. I was one of the site sisters that gave the tours. I, you know, at all the historical sites and stuff. And so my life, I I we joke about this that my life actually in a much, much smaller way, parallels Joseph Smith's life. So when you said that, I'm like going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, when is, when, when is this new religion slash new man that's like yes. going to come finally? Because I, I do remember having that moment in church when I was like, join none of them. I'm like, okay, yes. scratch everything I'm doing right now and start over again. That's exactly, you know, I had, I actually had not thought about that aspect, but, but that is exactly what it was like. Every time it was like, scratch it and start over again, you know? And it was so disheartening. And there are times when I, there was even one time I'll admit that I found myself praying and screaming at God, you know, because I was, I just didn't understand. But if I had known, oh, if I'd only known what he was preparing me for, I would have been like, I'm good. <laughs> I am good. I, I mean, I think that was the hard, I was about nine years. And I think that was the hard part for me is, 
oh, if I could know the end from the beginning, you know, but yeah. the future is well except, always in motion, like Master Yoda said. Except <laughs> if you get that Joseph Smith, like, parallel, what happened with him? If, what if he had just joined one of those religions because he's like, well, I'm just sick of looking. Yeah. He, we wouldn't have the church we have now for yeah. all of us, right? Yep. So it's almost kind of like a little motivator when you know that like history, if it were to repeat itself in my life, means whatever I'm being asked to wait for is worth waiting for. Right. And, and it's, and it, there's a purpose in it. You know, I came Isaac really close to seven, seven years. No, not Isaac. Jacob waited seven years for. Um, oh, like Rebecca. Or whoever. Rebecca and. And, uh, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh came from that union, probably affects all of us. Although at least he knew who, like, I think when you don't know <laughs> yeah, who, yeah, what am I waiting for? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And it was really tough because like before Eric, uh, there was a gentleman I dated, but before him, I was in a very, very serious relationship in which we were planning on getting married. I applied to have my ceiling canceled and everything. Um, and I still feel that he is an incredible man, but I, I have found out that Eric, it matches me so much better. And so when I think back and I think how close I came, if I had stuck with that or whatever, and um, it, it's, it's a long story, but if, if something had come from that, if we had gotten married, it still would have been incredible. I know that he matches me so much better and that this was supposed to happen the way that it happened, you know? And so I'm just like, it kills me how close I came to missing out on this. If I had not just, if I had not listened to the spirit or said, you know what? No, I, I just, I want to be married. And, and we all get stuck in that as singles. We get in that, we don't want to be alone. It, it sucks, you know? And so it's hard being patient, but, oh, and then one of the other things that helped me out um, during those 15 years is staying engaged in my life. So like, um, a lot of times when singles are, are feeling alone and stuff, they kind of, it's hard not to get lost in being alone. But if you dive into your life, dive into you, getting your education into, you know, um, your family, extending your family in other ways or whatever it is, um, you're, you're improving yourself while you're waiting or while you're and in, in the process you're actually being prepared because all the a, oh sorry i was just going to say that's something we emphasize all the time in ministering to mid singles is you know you're not just waiting around to get married you're right whether you can be successfully married is going to depend a lot on how you develop during right. that time and whether when it's you, long or short and, and if we can consider it a gift yeah. like a gift of preparation and a gift of even figuring out how to love ourselves so that we know how to receive love. Yeah. We right. know how to even go to the source, which yep. is God for and how to appreciate it. Cause that's one thing that both of us as as hard as it is to have gone through our, our separate scenarios, they're two ends of the spectrum, but they're both very, very painful situations, very hard, for but sure. I wouldn't trade it for anything because it's made us who we are and, and being ready for each other and not only recognizing, like you said, but appreciating, being able to appreciate each other and what we are bringing to this relationship. I mean, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. 
By the way, before we go too much further, I need to correct myself. It wasn't Rebecca, it was Rachel. Rachel. Rebecca was the mother of Jacob who worked seven years thinking he was gonna marry Rachel and he had to marry Leah and then worked seven more years. So about the same amount of time of waiting as you had, except he knew the end result. <laughs> that is actually one of my favorite scriptural stories. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think the moral of your story, yeah, I think the moral of your story is that like Joseph Smith, when we're single, if we have, if, if our dating process and, and figuring out our life requires patience, that there's reason and purpose in it and that it's part of our path. Right. And that the time in which we're single between relationships is a gift to develop ourselves and as invaluable. I mean, before I met him, I, I decided that I was going to, um, I didn't, I didn't stop dating. I kept dating, but I decided that I wanted to start getting involved in bringing single adults together because spending 15 years in the single adult world, I have a passion for helping all these single adults, um, get together and especially the ones who can't afford it or situationally have a difficult time. So I dove into that God wanted uh, me to do this. And a lot of the things that prepared me for those prepared me for this. Right. So Eric, I want to ask you something real quick. Um, now your, your, um, your divorce was relatively more recent. I know there had to have been troubles leading up to it and all that as well, but um, uh how were, and, and we've discussed this uh, between ourselves a time or two, but how were you able to um, make the transition as quickly as you did to being ready for another love in your life and, you know, to move forward? That's Good a question. great question. Yeah. Yeah. Divorce is really hard for everybody involved. Yeah. Really hard. Um, and there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of things that play into it, into the, the, the leading up to it and the cause and everything. I personally had just, you know, throughout, you know, throughout my life, really, you know, a while back, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work, like, I, like you kind of mentioned recently, but I had a, just a lot of years of really a lot of insecurity, fears of rejection, fears of failure. Um, you know, I, I was judgmental of people and, and I just, I was, I had a lot of anxiety, just a lot of not being myself, not being able to be comfortable in my own skin, not being able to show up, you know, really being present. Um, and so, uh, so with, with my situation, when I, when I, when we became separated, I, um, I got to work on myself. I, I thought that I was trying to fix my marriage at the time. And, and that's what, that's what my mind, that's what my vision was at the time. But I was, so I was working on, okay, what is going on? What is happening? What happened? Where did, you know, what are, what are the root causes and how do I fix that? What do I do to become better, to not be so defensive, to be more genuine, to be more present. And God, like four days after the separation, I would say is the most important day of my life spiritually, like more important than my mission, more important than my baptism. It was amazing that day, August 10th, 2020, um, God really made it clear to me that I needed to connect with him every day to the point of hearing 
hearing him speak to me, you know, haven't like, I call it checking my divine email, my daily email from God. And, and so, you know, take like an hour and a half, two hours in the mornings. Like it was a lot of work to get out of where I was at with my anxiety and insecurities, but to connect with him. And I use my journal and I write down, okay, God, and I in colon, I put what he told me, you know, and, and I would get, I would just, I would have this foundation, like, come under my feet. I would just have this peace come over me. I'd be like, okay, now I'm ready for this day. You know, let's go to work. Let's do this. You know, and I had a job that was flexible enough to allow me to do that. Um, so essentially every single day he was walking me through the process. You know, he led me to tools. He led me to, to ways of thinking about it. He led me to, you know, what my target was, you know, and, and just, just led me through it. And I, and I wrote all of these, a lot of these things down because I wanted to not just be beneficial to me, but I wanted to be able to help other people. He's so good at it, journaling. And yeah, I'm so- gonna, I'm gonna tell our audience the thing I, I admire most about Eric. In this process, he wasn't looking at how do I blame my former wife? Uh, at least most of his effort was, how can I change? How can I- well, um, be a better a better me. If I can go one step further, I also noticed that the way in which you're saying it is very non-shaming too, because people can get stuck in one or the other, or maybe flip-flop between both and neither are useful. And I can tell that even though you're saying I, I, I had anxiety, I had judgment, I felt insecure, that those aren't part of you now because you're talking about it very non-shamingly. Like you're just saying, this is what I used to feel. And you can clearly don't anymore. Like, that's really amazing. When he talks about how he used to be, and I believe it, you know, but when he talks about it, it's, it's actually, I have to really, it's a little hard for me to imagine it because he's so not like that now, you know? And I believe it was because he dove in and did the work to, to fix what he could do. And one of the things I loved about him was that he was very honest and upfront about who he was when he was married, you know, about the things that he contributed to their marital problems and stuff, and that he didn't just shame her all the time, you know? And, and I think that says a lot about somebody's character and it takes a lot of strength because there's a lot of pain and there's always two sides and there's, a you know, and. And that just really impressed me. And it just made him so much more attractive. And when you yeah. live in the mid-singles community long enough, you know that when somebody is divorced and they aren't bagging on their former, it's not because there aren't things that could be complained about. It's because they've done work. Right. And it's because they've chosen a path of peace. Yep. You know, we, uh, we had on this program, we had Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife a year or something ago. And uh, we love her. I mean, uh, personally and professionally, she's just an awesome person. But uh, anyway, we asked her what was the most important thing to look for when you're dating uh, after a divorce. And she said, someone who is self-reflective, who yes. has self-awareness and can look at their own, their own thoughts and behavior and self-confront and, and, uh, and she, of course, added very emphatically, you have to be trying to be that kind of person right. as well. 
And that that's really the intentionality about that is a big factor in being able to beat the odds in a, in a second or third marriage. Yeah, we teach yeah. that all the time, emotional intelligence. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, you know, having, being, having judgmental thoughts and having expectations are, I believe, the root cause of every relationship issue. Like, it is, it is pervasive and far worse of a pandemic than COVID. Like, it's, it's just everywhere. So destructive. And, you know, and, and we're, you know, we all experience the recipient side of that, of people expecting or judging us, and, and it causes a lot of suffering. And, and, you know, when we're in that suffering, it's really hard not to spread that suffering. Yes. You know, there's the hurt saying, people hurt people. Yeah, hurt people hurt people. And and right. so, no, that's great. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I, I love it. You know, the episode, you, yeah, you, you know, we're so on board with so many things. And, um, and so, you know, any, you know, anybody in my life who, who, you know, maybe I, you know, where I used to be really judgmental of it, I was like, okay, you know what? They're hurting. Yeah. You know, how can I approach them with compassion and curiosity? Yeah. And, and, and safety, help them feel safe, felt, and understood. And, you know, anytime that, you know, they're in a place where they're willing to accept that, you know, it's healing for, for them and it's a beautiful opportunity for me and, and vice versa. Compassion and curiosity are two big. Right. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say safety was something that uh, we both brought to each other, which is, I think, why in four days we were able to dive deep fast because we brought our own safety to the table, you know, and that was one of the things we found very appealing about each other was, was how safe we felt. And, and that's I'd a, love to dive yeah. into the safety. We thing connected over that too. Um, I just was going to say compassion and curiosity are big coaching words. Yes. And I heard a definition of compassion the other day that was some, went something like this, that it's where suffering is met with love and stays loving. Oh, Isn't that beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. And then curiosity is when we're willing to be aware of ourselves and to even maybe question our thoughts and our behaviors and be willing to shift them to better serve us and our relationships. And, um, and it sounds like you did that. I, I love that you called it spiritual email. It's like, I'm going to check in with my, my spiritual self first. And then the rest of the day kind of takes care of itself. It sounds like that's kind of how you experienced it, right? Yeah, 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 it was. And, and it, it, was, it was incredibly life-changing, literally. Like I said, it's the most important spiritual day of my life. It's, it is so amazing to have God help people walk you through things because he's the best at everything. He's the best computer programmer. He's the best life yeah. coach. He's the best dad. He's the best husband. Like he's, he's Why the not best. tap into such yeah. incredibly perfect resource, right? right? Yeah. The perfect king. I love it. It's and not, so spiritual email, we can all kind of create our own spiritual email we check every day. Yes. Now, and I, I want to ask Eric about something that we, he touched on earlier or alluded to, but one of his favorite terms is self-blinding judgments. Yes. So give us a definition of that and, and tell us how, how uh, it helps, you know, when you're really stuck or whatever. Yeah, great. Yeah, so self-blinding judgment. So it's really a, a simple way to think of it is just judgmental thoughts. But but I really like the concept of self-blinding. So when Christ taught about you know you can't remove the moat from your neighbor's eye if you have a beam in your own eye, 
that's a really good visual, right? So you, you I imagine we have this beam in our face that says, you know, he is lazy or she is, you know, controlling or whatever it is. And, and that in big black marker, right? In your face, you, you can't see the can't other person see. at that point. They're, they're no longer a human being. They're, you know, they're dehumanized. And it goes from just being a judgment to a blinding judgment, a judgment that, that changes how we see things, you know? That's why well, that self-blinding is so important. It looks like a beam, even if it's a moat, because it's on your eye. Yeah, it's <laughs> objects in your eye are closer than they appear. <laughs> right, or bigger, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so having, so when you do, when you do something to remove it, you know, and you know, some, one way is to pray to God and plead for him to remove that judgment from your face. Another one that I found is just very stepwise, straightforward and, and predictably doable in a, you know, like an hour usually is inquiry. And it's from Byron Katie on thework.com. I have a, I've simplified the approach just a little bit, kind of tailored it a little bit to how I like to do it, but it is just an amazing tool that, you know, after doing it about 30 times, you know, while I was still married, I realized that I realized that what I was doing with, you know, being codependent, being, being so dysfunctional. And then after about a hundred times, I've achieved basically peace of mind. Like it is so rare that I have a negative thought at all about myself or anyone. It's just, it's just, I just feel so free. And when I do have one, it's like, oh, I know exactly how to handle this, you know? And it, doesn't it shift to a place of acceptance of yourself and others? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's ex easy acceptance and even connection, right? Safety and connection. And, and I mean, between like, between Sarah and I, it's like, we just adore each other. It's like, adore. like <laughs> what I, what I wanted my whole life, like, like was for acceptance and, and, you know, with where I was at in my marriage, I just, I could never feel accepted. And it, it was just, it was just really hard. But with Syra, like she accepts me, like, of course. And it's like, but she adores me. And we just adore each other. We just, we just can't talk about how much, you know, how much we love each other and how much we see in each other. And it's, it's just so beautiful. And words don't ever seem to be enough either. And, and I have to add on that, that like, you know, he's always wanted this, but a lot of it, a lot of the reason why he's able to find it is not just because I, I offer it to him, but because he did that work so that he could accept it too. Yes. I'm sure that in his previous marriage, there was a lot of times where, you know, she, she tried to, or, or there were instances where he could have, but he didn't know how, you know, and that's what I love about his inquiry step process is that it doesn't just tell you this is what you need to do. It tells you how it shows you how and walks you through it so that you can well, actually have you walk us through a bit, just as like a really kind of a quick snapshot yeah. for our, our listeners. But um, I, I wanted to mention that blinding judgments with the beam in the eye and dehumanizing, it's almost like with the anatomy of peace idea that when you, uh, what's the word when you uh, you have a heart at war yeah um but what do you do when you when you have a heart at war you are objectifying mm -hmm. that's that's the dehumanization process where like you're no longer a person who i care about you're an obstacle in my way of getting what i want or you are the means of getting what i want mm -hmm. yeah. and if you're only that you're no longer like someone i need to treat with gentleness yeah you no longer have feelings and desires anymore. 
Well, and let me interpret what Eric said a minute ago. And if I'm wrong about this, please correct me or comment however you see fit. But it, it almost strikes me that you couldn't really be accepted by someone else or at least receive that acceptance before you could accept your own self. Amen. And that if you were really codependent and you were, and I'm extrapolating, but you were trying to get that acceptance from your former wife, maybe give applying pressure or other forms of imitation, love, manipulation, whatever it may be, that if you're trying to push the issue of you've got to accept me, you married me, you, you, you know, if, if we're trying to do that, it seems like we're pushing away the very thing that we want. That we want the most. And then if we're open and we let people make their choices and we're at peace about it, we're in a much better place to, to be accepted because it's being freely offered. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not going to really talk necessarily about specifics in our, in our marriage, no. but, but, you know, having, it, it is so common with, with so many things like we self-sabotage. Right. Yep. And, and if we, you know, when, whenever we're blaming someone else, usually like inquiry actually is a beautiful process, which is, which is, which is empowering, but it does turn any blame you're placing on anyone to taking your, taking your own accountability. And it is, mm -hmm. and it's sometimes hard to swallow, but it is sure. so beautiful because then it becomes within your realm of power because really you can't change that, right? You can only change yeah. yourself. But as soon as you can say, oh, I have a part in this. I contribute in, in a major way. I can, I have control. It gives mm -hmm. you, it actually frees you of the things that you are oppressed by, by other people's expectations or judgments or whatever. So you can actually free yourself in the process. It takes you out of self-pity and self-pity and um, victim to being in a place of, of power and, you know, empowerment basically yeah beautiful well tell, tell us more about the inquiry process I, i'm familiar with byron katie I've, I've i'm i'm i've read her book um it's been a while but um i really love the concept of loving what is just simply because what is is what we're living in i mean it's kind of like cyrus said in in her bio she's stubborn about her joy and and how do we, how are we joyful? It's, well, it's when we love what is, because it is, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and really her work is all about that, right? Yeah. So tell us how you came up like with your own like kind of condensed version of inquiry based okay. on that. So um, so what what, uh, what what Byron Katie has is this, is this the sheet called ju the Judge Your Neighbor Worksheet. And you fill it out and it, it walks you through to kind of understand your your, um, your frustration or whatever you're going through. And then for each sentence in that worksheet, you answer five questions. So she calls it four questions and turnarounds. I, I just call them five questions. Okay. And, um, and I, just, I just basically kind of skip the judge your neighbor worksheet and just, what's the sentence? What is it that's causing you suffering? What is the thing that triggers that emotion in you? You know? Um, and that's the most important part is get and to make sure that that, that sentence that you, uh, that thought and judgment that you want to change is accurate. Cause like you, you want to make sure that it really resonates with you as the, what is causing you pain. Cause that, that's what makes it so effective. So what triggers suffering in this relationship or this situation? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't, it's hard to necessarily think of it in that is, is that as the question, what's causing the suffering, but kind of what's, what is it that's driving you crazy? You know, 
Uh, what is, you know, some, a lot of times people are like, oh, they should be listening to me. They should, they should, they should be being responsible. You know, my mom should not demand that I, I pay attention to her right then and do what she says right notice, at that very moment. Notice all of your sentences have shoulds or shouldn'ts. Exactly. And, and that's, that's a that's a usually an easy way to, to if, yeah. you, if you can come up with a sense with should or shouldn't, that's usually a really good one to, to grab onto. There's other forms, you know, I'm afraid and when of, you say grab onto, you don't mean keep, you mean like be aware of, to, target, to work on. Yeah, to target. I mean, work on, yeah, yeah. to process. Because should and, or and shouldn't the, always has some kind of judgment, like that right. something should or shouldn't be a certain way. Shouldn't should on right. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I should have done this. My spouse should have done that. Yeah. Another good sense is anything that has a label. Oh, you know, he is lazy. Yeah. Right. Any, any kind of any kind of negative label is a really good sense, even if it's about yourself. Um, and so, yeah, any kind of frustration or insecurity, if you can just put it into a simple sentence, that's kind of the first step. Okay. okay. And then and then basically there's these five questions. So what's a what's a good sentence we should do? Um, we can use my mom's like, okay, my mom should not expect me to come over, drop everything, come right now. Okay, okay. so maybe, maybe, can we shorten it? Let's see, my sure. mom shouldn't, um, shouldn't demand, shouldn't. This is where the coach part yeah. is good because they can take what is there and help you kind of refine it and really target it really well. My mom shouldn't demand my attention now, okay? Immediate, yeah. Immediately, okay. My mom shouldn't demand my attention immediately, okay? All right, so first question is, is it true? It's just yes or no. So I don't know if you want to actually do it. Sure. Okay. Put, put we'll, around we'll do the a spot. shortened version of this. All right. So is it true? My mom shouldn't demand my immediate attention. Well, right now I feel like yes, it's it true. is true. Yep. And that, and the idea here is we're not going to judge ourselves for the answers. There's no wrong answers. We're just trying to connect with that pain. Okay. We're just trying to say yes or no. Not come up with reasons behind it too. That's one thing he he taught me. Is is like just just answer for you right now. Does is it true for you? Yes, okay, so mom shouldn't be demanding. Is it true? Yes. Okay. And then what's the second question? Second question is, can you absolutely know that it's true? My mom shouldn't be demanding it, demanding of me my immediate attention. It's absolutely true. Like, is it absolute truth, in other words? Yeah. So yeah, can you prove it? I know that this is something that I'm feeling, you know, but I, I'm a faulty human and I don't know no no i can't absolutely know that it's true okay. it's just what i i feel but i cannot absolutely know that it's true and okay. just you know like a lot of times people still say yes right it, it, there's no yeah, wrong there's answers no wrong answers. even if they answer no to the first question that it's not even true it's still useful to go through okay? okay all right so the third question is how do you react what happens when you have that thought my mom shouldn't demand my immediate attention <laughs> I, I immediately start to feel stressed. My anxiety, um, I have an anxiety disorder, so it, it starts out right here and jumps up to here immediately within seconds. And yeah. I get, I get immediately frustrated with her. I get angry. My body gets tense. Um, my head starts hurting, um, because I feel this pressure, this demand, um, this tremendous expectation, you know, that I know that I, I can't, I don't think I can meet right now. So, I, I'm, so the I'm, thought is hurting you. Yeah. Yes. That yeah. thought triggers. It causes a reaction. Emotional and physical pain. Yeah. 
And so, so you can go into it deeper, you know, maybe we'll kind of shortcut it, but yeah, like you try to get it all out, you know, it's almost like a little venting of not, not going into all the details in the story, just what is the reaction? How, what are all the emotions? You know, is there powerlessness? Is there feeling trapped? You know, all these things that, you know, you might it's be identifying feeling. all those, those um, reactions, yeah. physical, emotional. And what's the fourth question? <laughs> yeah, the fourth question is, how would you be without that thought? If hypothetically your brain couldn't even register that thought at all, she no, shouldn't be that. No circumstances change. Right. But that thought, if it was not in my head at all whatsoever, I, I wouldn't feel stressed. I wouldn't have physical pain. I would feel freer. I would feel more loving towards my mother. But she's you know, still going to be calling up and saying, come over here right now. Yeah, she But is. if I can't think that, if I can't think that statement, then I would be like, well, mom, I really can't do that right now, um, but I will do it. I will help you as soon as I can. So it puts you in a place to make a better choice about how you handle it. It gives you peace of mind so you can think clearly. But it's and helping. By the way, I was just playing devil's advocate. I understand, you know, I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm for the good. benefit of the audience. Like, so that's yeah. what changes is it changes yep. how you think about it and therefore how you act. The first purpose of that question is to identify it, to, you know, and, and we're not actually removing the thought with question four. We're not even trying to remove it. We're not trying to do anything. We're just, just trying to imagine, it. we're creating a, creating an, uh, a hypothetical reality. How would I be, you know, and, and maybe I'd like to be in that place. I don't know how to get there. I have no idea yeah. how to get there, but what if I could, where would I, be, where would I end up? What would up? it feel like? Yeah. Yeah. Would so, it, yeah. And then I would think naturally people say, well, then gosh, I'm going to get rid of the thought or like, I'm going to replace it with something. Yeah, it yeah. creates a desire, a desire. is what yeah. it does. It doesn't yeah. tell you how. That's what question five is for. But question four and three show you how much it's doing to you and how much it, it could help you to get rid of it, right? Yes, got it. Okay, and then five is? Okay, number five is it's, it's how is each turnaround true? And I, I basically teach four turnarounds, okay, A, B, C, and D. So turnaround A, you just, you turn it all to yourself. So you, you put yourself in her spot of the sentence, but it's still, so it's all about you. So instead of my mom shouldn't, shouldn't be so demanding, you know, of my immediate attention, it's I, I shouldn't be in, in demand of my immediate attention. Right. So how is that true? That you, sh you shouldn't be in demand of your immediate, own immediate attention. Well, this, it, it, it has the same reaction that it, it shouldn't be true because it, it'll have the same, it'll make me feel the same way. You know, I shouldn't because I don't want to cause myself discomfort or pain, physical and emotional and stuff. So I, um, it's not true that I shouldn't do, I shouldn't do this, right. but, but it, it's hard to think about. It really does. It takes a second to think about, okay, how is that true? And that, that thinking process is the important part it is analyzing. How could it be? How could this be true? And there's, purpose and when you're uh when you're in my spot it doesn't make sense right away but the one the biggest thing is trusting the process okay and um the second question would maybe be i shouldn't be demanding of her yep part b is you swap the names yep, yep. so how is it true that you shouldn't be so demanding of her immediate attention okay that's um that's fairly obvious for me just because i feel so strongly about you know, expectations and stuff. So I should absolutely should not be demanding of her because I don't want to make her feel that way. So I you feel that is true. 
yes, I absolutely feel that is true. And you also feel you shouldn't be demanding of you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then how do you turn the other two around? Okay, so part C, we add the words in the past to the beginning of the sentence and you switch it to be positive. So in the past, my mom wasn't demanding of my immediate attention. So what are some examples? What are some times you can think of when she wasn't that way? Well, there was uh, one particular time, and this has happened actually a number of times, is my mom has some physical problems. Um, she's handicapped. She has MS and diabetes and stuff. And so, you know, she has a lot of health issues. And so she can't reach her toes. And so she asked me to come over and help her clip and paint her, her toes and stuff like that. Seems like it's just so menial, but it matters to her. And so she'll ask me to do that. And I remember one time she asked me to do it. And I says, mom, I would love to do this, but I can't get over there right now. I just can't. I'm in the middle of this right now. And so I can't, but I will, you know, um, I will do it. And she was like, and, and a lot of times before that, she'd be like, well, I really need it done now, you know, but this time she was like, okay, well, just let me know when you're going to come over, you know, just let me know as soon as you can, you know. Nice. nice. Okay. Let's think of, can you think of one or two more? Maybe. We well, and then the next question is also, is, is also in the past. Nope. Nope. So, okay. So, so basically with that one, you want to, you want to try to see times when, when it was, when it wasn't that way, right? And it really helps uh, so many times to say, it wow. It kind of can be any evidence that she's not always demanding. Yeah, it yeah. takes things yeah. from absolute and start, what it's doing is it's opening up your mind. Yeah. And that's the goal of these questions is to open up your mind so that you can free it, Right. you know? And so, yes. so many times people will find, oh my gosh, you're right. That time they weren't like that. Oh, that time when they weren't like that. Oh, that time they weren't. And they, sometimes they can come with a whole bunch. And right. it's, it's like that overwhelming evidence, like, wow, I've been really hard on them. They're actually not, they don't, they actually have a pattern of doing it the other way in many situations. Yeah. Right? I love uh, looking for evidence also, even for affirmations. If you're not quite sure if you believe an affirmation that you want to believe saying, I am seeing evidence in this life or in, in my life, this is true. And so it's kind of the opposite, but like the That's idea that evidence. you're looking for evidence of what you want to believe. Yes. Just like you're looking at evidence of, of things that you want to be able to see differently. Right. And so affirmations trigger your subconscious to look for evidence to support the sentence, right? Um, the same way, I, I, I prefer questions. So this question of, you know, in the past, they weren't this way, that still triggers your subconscious to look for answers to that question. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so I, I really like, but yeah, either way, your subconscious is so powerful. Yeah. And, and it has that a way of doing it like and so in what we feed it is really important right yeah yeah right. What you're, so what's what, the third the fourth question then okay, so the fourth one you you negate the verb so instead of she shouldn't be demanding it would be she should be demanding so how oh, is it yeah. true my mom should be demanding of my immediate attention and sometimes this is a little bit tougher this one yeah. but once again we're trying to open and up open up our mind so we're, we're trying to open honestly to think about something so and this one's a tough one for me we, we haven't worked on this at all this is so, on the spot this right is a new one <laughs> um i would say she should be demanding i would say she should be demanding on my immediate attention when it's important when it matters you know if it matters really a lot to her whether or not i say yes or no 
you know, she, she, I won't say she should, but she, you know, she should, or she can, you know, it, she should be able to, um, to say, this is really important to me. I need this done right now, you know? And I, I love that. And I think you could also mom <clears throat> almost always answer it with, well, of course she should, because when she does it, then she is doing that. <laughs> you know, like, I think almost you can always answer it with, well, of course my kids should talk back to me because they are, or like, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what Byron Katie, you're going, you're leading to what Byron Katie talks about with arguing with reality. The reality is that they are. They are. If you argue <laughs> against that, if you're saying, no, they, sh they shouldn't be at the way they are, then you are arguing with reality, which I love how she says this. When you argue with reality, you lose, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> you know, I want to I want to yeah. jump in on that point because um, I think there there can be a lot of nuances to this, and when your mind opens up, you make discoveries you may not have expected. Um, but I, I've had to to do a lot of thought work like this recently, um, as you guys may know. My my 24 year old son passed away at the end of August and a tragic rock climbing accident. Now, for me to, to say that, I, that I'm not going to feel any pain over that, well, that, I'd have to be an inhuman monster to- It's unrealistic. No, no, and I know that's a judgment I'm making there, but- Well, it's also but, a choice. He, he doesn't want to not feel pain. Because yes, pain means he loved. Sadness right. is love. Pain is a reminder of what he meant to me and means to me. And so, so yeah, part of it is I choose to keep that wound in my heart. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be happy. It doesn't mean I can't be happy ever again right. or my normal self. But it, the kinds of judgments that I think are going to make that pain more severe than it needs to be and more long lasting and all of that are things like he was too young to die. Yeah. You're not supposed to have yeah. to bury your children. Yes. Yes. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be this way. You know, somehow the plan of God has been thwarted. In, you know, there's a variety of different ways. That day, or, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a, shouldn'ts and shoulds. And there's yeah. a so so you know we can try on a lot of these different thoughts like well why should he have have died? Yeah. And I have a lot of thoughts on on that that are more supportive than well you know, he was too young to die and, you know, life wasn't supposed to turn out like this and all of that. Well, because all of those are really arguing with the reality of the situation. Like should by, by opening your mind that way too, you're actually making it easier for you to discover the actual truth. You might not get the, the whole truth because you won't get that till, you know, we're in the next life when, when the Lord enlightens us and everything. But it, by opening up your mind and and kind of doing that those turnaround type ideas is that you're, you're opening up your mind not only to the actual truth but it helps in your grieving process mm -hmm. i'm really right. big on grieving because i i've had to do a lot of it myself right yeah and you know i think grief that is like man i miss him it's hard to think about going the next 50 years without him or what, you know, whatever thoughts I might come up with, those, those are, you know, those are painful, but they're, they're relatively 
clean. <laughs> there, there's, like there's clean and there's dirty pain and the clean right. is examined and I think more thoughtfully and intentionally chosen in line with reality rather and then the dirty pain is that argument that we have and a hundred percent of the time we're losing yeah i like that term clean and dirty pain because it really it, it kind of shows on how it affects you is it is it i call it good hours and bad hours when i was in massage therapy is it the when you're getting massaged is is does it feel like yeah it hurts but it feels like it's doing something for me you know or is it how it's hurting me more you know so there's healthy pain and there's unhealthy pain. So, yeah. Syra taught me, uh, I, I don't know if I, is it okay if I quote you on this? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that, I have a tool that, I, that I've documented from what she's taught me about it, but one of the parts of this tool about effective grieving is it says, she said, the best way to grieve is allowing yourself to mourn, but to process it without letting it consume you to the point of losing hope or going into depression. When mourning, it's important to allow yourself to feel whatever you need to feel without judgment or guilt. After you get through feeling it, you will get to the point of having an emotional release, often indicated by exhaustion. At this point, you have a choice. You have a choice to stay in pain and sorrow. It can change your chemical state and lead you to depression. It is best even before the initial grieving to have already decided that after you release, you will get up and get moving again. I want, I want to tell you something about this because that really resonates with me right now. When I went through my divorce, I had about four years of deep depression and didn't know how to find my way out of it. Um, and I mean, gradually I figured it out, but, but it was more painful than I think it needed to be because I stayed stuck in it. And you said something about not letting it consume you. Well, yeah. it consumed me. It yeah. was, that was very, very much the way things were. And so everything in my life got harder. I mean, I yes. didn't feel like going to work. So I didn't, I didn't feel like paying my taxes. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, go down the list and I just created huge messes and it was all thoughts about my life's ruined because of this divorce. And, you know, it's all her doing that this happened and, and, you know, all of that sort of thing. Well, when Henry died in August, Kathy can remember me saying this. I, I, I had said to her actually about another situation. I've seen what it's like when you approach your trials with weakness. And that's not someplace I want to go. And I, but by weakness, I just mean allowing it to consume you. Right. And, and so I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be intentional and how I handle this. I'm going to give myself an hour a day to grieve well, and feel wait, my feelings. Before he passed, to, in, order, in a different situation, he said, I'm going yeah. to respond with strength. And he like, and he said it so powerfully. And then a few hours later, we found out his son died on top of this other trial. And, and then a few other trials happened right after the funeral. It's like, whoa, like he kind of preparing you. strength with the first one and then just carry it all through. And he has. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing I this that I I learned I learned it in my divorce because I didn't divorce my ex-husband because I didn't love him I loved him dearly but he was abusive and had addictions and I and I knew that I was not going to survive and um, so I knew that I had to grieve I, you cannot you cannot skip grieving no matter how much you think you can it will get buried it'll come back and bite you later 
but by doing it sideways right by doing it the way that that i was saying you are actually giving yourself permission it's okay to grieve this is this is the time frame i'm setting aside to allow myself to feel whatever i feel like feeling be angry scream this is where god will understand if you're screaming and swearing at him he really will he can take it yeah he can take it he's not avoiding any of that and he's responding with strengths. It's like both. Like right. I love that he like he took two weeks off work. He did nothing but think of Henry and and plan the funeral. And then we went up and we did the funeral. And then he came back. And then he's given himself up to an hour every day. Yeah, Billy's feelings. And then the rest of the time, yeah. it's life. Life is happening. Try, I've tried to get back to my normal life, and it bleeds into my normal life once in a while. But and it will. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, and I think all of that strength honestly it like, is. and it's and it's really beautiful yeah and every every day at lunchtime i go to the gym and pump weights or run on the treadmill or whatever and and that has been part of trying to show up with strength for mood management all of that mm-hmm. and that's a lot better than moping on the couch and it doesn't yeah. mean i don't hurt doesn't mean i don't feel the feelings but that's one of my outlets for that and raises my mood and my endorphins and all that. And, and that is, I have desperately needed over the last few months. And in a grief observed, um, he read, <clears throat> and this really resonated with me. By C.S. Lewis. Yeah. So C.S. Lewis write, wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And in it, he says, you can connect with your loved ones and they will show up. Yes. Living your life and not living in deep grief. Yes, yeah. they really do. When you can, when you get to that point where you're opening up your mind, it allows them to do that, to speak to you. And that's why I think even, even before I started my grieving process with my divorce, I decided before I went into it, I says, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to feel these things and I'm going to feel like dying sometimes. But I made a decision before I started that when I got to that exhaustive state is what I call it. It's kind of like where you just release all this energy in, in whatever form. Afterwards, you feel kind of like this exhaustion, you feel drained and stuff, but it, it, that's the point that you've released it. That's where you decide beforehand, okay, now is the point where I'm going to get up and I'm going to do whatever it takes to change this state of being, my physical state, my emotional state. And I'm going to get up. Stubborn and about your joy. joy. I am so stubborn about my joy. <laughs> Love <not> it. <laughs> That's where that's the get up and get going part. Like you're yes. just like, okay, now it's time for joy. Now like it's time for the feeling. And I found that the, the grieving process actually, and this is how you can know for future reference, this is how you can know you're making progress, which is hopeful, is that because it'll keep coming back, is that you'll notice that each instance, they're they're close together, they're intense, and they're sometimes long. But with each time, it gets shorter, it gets further, further apart, apart yeah. and you know, right. shorter yeah. in, in duration. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then further apart, and it gets lighter. And that's how you can judge, I am doing better. And you yes. can take pleasure yeah. and, and joy in knowing that you are progressing. And and it, I want to show you something that goes along with that. Have you ever heard of the figure eight in grieving? Uh-uh. Okay, so the middle point is where you feel, it's a you really yeah, it's a sideways figure out eight in the middle is where you feel really, really feel the pain. Right. right? And okay. the rest is life, right? And so when 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 Henry first passed, or when you were first divorced, or like when anything like really like traumatic happens, we're like this. I mean, I was it's just like in and out tears. of that yeah. all yeah. day long. Bursting every day. into tears every hour. 
And then yeah. as time goes on, and especially if we do the work necessary, this pain just ends up coming around like so, so, and then it ends up being so slow that like maybe this center point where we feel pain happens every six months and then maybe every year and then maybe every few years. And I I do think when it's like a a lot a really big loss, um, I think that there's always going to be a little bit of that there, right? But like the rest of life moves on and, and you're not in that like, whoa. Right, <laughs> right. It's really dizzy. You can't yeah. see up from down. Yeah. yeah. I really just love that visual. Like that. I mean, it just. I like that too. Slows down. And it does. It feels like when it first happens, life is just throwing at you so many feelings all at once. And, right. and it just kind of slows down and becomes like part of your life rather than all of it. Right. Yep. You know, my, my little brother died when I was 26 years old. Um, 29 years ago. Um, He was 17 at the time. Now I can still have a moment 29 years later where I think of him in a certain way and get a lump in my throat or feel teary. And so I'll stop when that happens and have my moment. Um, And then I'll go on about my day and it doesn't ruin my life. It doesn't even ruin my day. In fact, it's, in some ways, isn't it sanct- it's sanctifying, I think, to take a loving relationship and feel right. pain because there was love. Because yeah. it existed and, and it meant that much to you. It's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that will happen to me, you know, three or four times a year or something now. It's not ever present. Right. Um, it also, I think, morphed after a year or so from a intense kick in the gut to sort of a mournful longing, yeah, um, a softer kind of grief. That's how you know that it's progressing. And-, and, and I think with my son Henry's loss, I feel like having that roadmap already in front of me, I, I know better what to expect and what healing looks like in this situation. It can give you hope. Yeah. Like that it's not so bleak. That, that what you're facing, that, that, that there's something beautiful on the other side of this grieving process. Yeah. 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 I want to share something. The, yes. uh, oh, and then uh, we can go back to the fifth question so we can wrap it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, I think we actually wrapped it. Oh, yeah, we, no, we, we covered it. Yeah, we got fifth it. One? yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The four turnarounds. Was the fifth okay. One. So um, one thing that I learned from Brooke Castillo, she has a, she has a podcast, lifecoachschool.com. I and, listened to it. Yeah, so one of her episodes, her earlier episodes, is talking about anxiety. And one of the most beautiful things I learned is that there are four ways to respond to emotions, right? One way is to uh, uh, to escape, right? To avoid, right? And that's where we turn to binge watching or, or yeah, emotional eating or drugs or pornography or whatever. Like we're just escaping, we're checking out, which is pushing the snooze button. It does, the problem doesn't go away, it just beeps again and you know, 10 minutes later or a day later or whatever it is. So that's the escaping. The second one is to judge ourselves, beat ourselves up because we're having the emotion. Oh, I shouldn't be so angry. I shouldn't be depressed. I shouldn't be feeling anxious. I can't believe I'm such a failure. I shouldn't be feeling this Judgment or that. Judgment on ourselves. Right? And that just compounds the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Super unhelpful. The third one is to just act it out and kind of wallow in it. We've kind of talked about that one, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is to allow it. And the word allow is so powerful because it's yeah. your choice, right? I'm going to choose to allow the emotion to happen within me, to allow it to pass through, to, to have its 
it's time, right? Because mm -hmm. emotions, emotions have a purpose. Every, Every single emotion, emotion has a purpose. And if we, what, if what's the name of the episode in case anyone wants to check it out? Um, it's something anxiety. You just search for the word anxiety. I think it's episode 14. Okay, so Brooke Castillo on, on and anxiety. Yep. Okay. It's a beautiful, we listened to it on the way to or from our honeymoon and, and it was just, it blew my mind. I was like, yes, yes. Brooke is a very smart lady. Yeah, and I want to listen to that for the purpose of, I know some people, especially with this work of coaching, we get in our heads and we were like, we're all about like the thought work but it's not the only thing we also have to be able and willing to identify and feel our feelings and not all of us want to do that yeah <laughs> so. yeah and that's one thing that i learned in coaching you know, early you know really recently actually i think september last year is when i made a huge uh improvement in transformational improvement in being able to empathize um you know i i'm very much you know i i found that i didn't when I, when I jumped into trying to help them and fix the problem without taking the time to just sit there with them in their pain, just meet them where they are and just, just let, just sit there, Be there with them. and empathize. It, it makes an enormous difference, mm -hmm. just an incredible difference. Oh yeah. When you like really feel with someone, I think yeah. that you can feel it together and you can sense that you are. Yeah. When you share it, it, it's always lighter. Yeah, and when what I realized too, which is kind of interesting, I think, is that when I when I wasn't when I wasn't doing that, it's because I was afraid of that pain, mm -hmm. and, and I was uncomfortable with it. And if and, you're afraid of it, then how afraid are they? Right. right. And and part of the reason why I was afraid of it is because I didn't have what God told me. I didn't. I had an empty bucket for empathy. And the reason why I had an empty bucket is because I hadn't had someone, you know, and partly is how I showed up, but I hadn't had someone ever really just sit there in my pain, just really. And, you know, and so, and I learned it when I was visiting my mom in California. And so I went downstairs and I was like, wow, I just learned something, mom. And I could really use, if you could hold me while I just tell you about all of my pain in my life. And I did it. It was like two or three hours. We just she just held me. She cried with me. She didn't judge. She didn't. Yeah, it was anything. it was amazing. And wow. I, some of the things were even about her that I was hurt from some things she'd done when that when we, I was a kid. And she just she filled she just, your bucket. Yeah. And yeah. And it overflowed. Did. Yeah. And I've it hasn't been empty since. I just nope. it's wonderful. Beautiful. And I, I would say to our viewers and listeners as well. <laughs> that even if you don't have a mom like that, that's capable of that, there is someone. Someone in your life. Your life you can find a wise person who will sit with you in your pain. That's when you go to Heavenly Father and ask him to help you to find, find that somebody. person yeah. and that Heavenly has Father, safety. Yeah, he, he can do it somewhat, but I needed a physical, <laughs> I needed a human to hold. It wasn't, <clears throat> Heavenly Father wasn't enough for me for that. Oh, I mean, I mean Heavenly yeah, Father, help, help you, you find, find something. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah and I, I want to say on, on that too, Brene Brown um, talks about how shame for men is one thing. It is do not be seen as weak, which makes it hard for us to do the kind of thing that Eric talked about having done. Um, and we personally see it as strength. And I think more people should, like, well, and, and not should, but like, I really think it would be helpful if we all considered 
emotional health to be a strength. Right, because it oh, certainly I'm, takes a stronger person to open up. It really does. Yeah. And I, I will direct this to the women because sometimes they fall into the trap of needing us to be Superman. Yeah. And that if we ever show any vulnerability, we're not armor and nails anymore and we can't protect and help them and, right. and whatever. Brene Brown says, if I meet a woman who can sit with a man in genuine pain and vulnerability, uh, there is a woman who has done incredible work. She has, she really has. She has held me while I fall. It is so incredibly beautiful. And what's, what's beautiful about it is that he's sitting there saying that this is beautiful, but I love that with him, he brings so much safety so that when he comes to me, and he's brought, he's come to me about judgments about me that he's had about me. And in the past with other people, I've been like, I immediately want feel the need to put up a wall, defend myself, go, Ooh, do I need to protect myself? You know, but he brings so much safety to the, to the conversation so that I don't feel, I, I just know that he's not there to attack me. I know that he's there to express something that's causing him pain that he wants to get rid of. Mm -hmm. And I, that allows me to be able to show up that way and say, I hear you, you know, and, and just what makes it safe, like for him to express himself in that way. How does, how does he help you? How, how do you help each other feel safe? I actually wanted to touch on this before we finished. Yeah, good. So, so the real, I think the real key is getting rid of those blinding judgments and expectations and if being you, able to recognize them yeah mm -hmm. you have to recognize them before you can get rid of them but if you get rid of those you cannot you know you can't show up in a way that they don't feel safe like like they're they're gonna as long as they're open to it they will feel safe if you show up that way because you it took an hour and a half of spiritual emails every morning for how long um, it was until November of 2021. So that was September, October. So 15 months of, yeah, until I woke up without anxiety. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And I, I think that it's really amazing that you said safety isn't something we offer like outside of us safety is something that we we yeah. offer because we did something in inside of us yes we bring the safety because of who we are making of ourselves what we're doing with ourselves mm -hmm. you know because one thing that he and i um have, re have really emphasized with working with people is intent cannot be hidden so no matter what's going on here in your head, if you have judgments and expectations, whether you verbalize them or not, they are going to come across. So oh, if you get sure. rid of those judgments and expectations before, you're basically preparing yourself to be a safe zone for that person. And that intent very much comes across. You you can't hide. You you well. I, and Jennifer Finlay sometimes says it's human tracking, like, and, and when we're in families and when we're in marriages and we're living on top of each other, we track behaviors, we track the way we're yeah. saying things. And we know deep down in our heart where that person is. We can't right. hide. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I think this is a very, when I say it's a very hard thing to do, I don't mean it's impossible. I mean, the difficulty in it is 
our brain is 2 million years old and it's wired for survival more than for happiness. And so or with our brain, it's always vigilant. It's looking for what's wrong. And that is driving the judgments we make. Yes. And so we have to be very conscious and intentional. I mean, it's natural to do yes. that, but the natural man is an enemy to God. And so part of this, I think, is being very intentional about avoiding those self-blinding judgments and you know, whether That's why I was identifying the identifying them part, you know, because like right. it's crazy. We'll we'll be having an issue, and anytime we feel, and this touches onto the balance thing that we we're really big on is that whenever there's an issue, whether we recognize it consciously or not, we feel the imbalance. Mm -hmm. We don't feel as connected with the person. We don't feel as connected with ourselves or whatever. We recognize that imbalance, and it's really important to recognize to identify and say. There, is, there has to be a judgment or an expectation in there that is not serving. And, right. and by identifying that, then you can go, okay, let's find out where it's in balance. And then we have a whole process for. Um, oh my gosh, I love that. So you're saying really in any situation when we're out of balance, there's a judgment or expectation somewhere. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That makes sense to me. And when you identify that judgment or expectation and eliminate it, balanced. Yeah. <laughs> Balance restored. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love we, that. We call that balance shalom. Nice. It means peace, but it means more than that. It also means uh, wholeness and restoration. Yes. And so when you say balance restored, <laughs> you that's that's what you'll see. <laughs> My word for 2022 was balance. Yes. Beautiful. That's gorgeous. Yeah. I don't think I really had really ever thought of judgment and expectation somewhere whenever there's imbalance. Um, I'm going to ponder this a lot, but I think as I focused on balance, I think some of, I know I've let go some of some of my own self expectations. Do you have any questions about that? That's one of our favorite subjects. Yeah, we've yeah. got a whole rule about seeking balance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, and it seems better. like the focus on that word has helped me let go of more judgment and expectations. Like it's, it was like the same in reverse, like right. focusing on balance helped eliminate some of that, at least for me. Yeah. I, I think I want to mention that there's different areas of balance, right? And, and one, of the, one of the things that she teaches with this tool, which I love, is first you address the physiological. You know, if, you know it's like if you're, if, you're, if you're in balance, if you're not in balance, like, okay, do I need to go eat something right now? Because that, because, you know, or do I need to drink some water? Or do I need to, you know, just My breathe, tired. just breathe, you and know? I'm PMSing. Right. Just My, like need some pain medicine. Well, and for me, that means taking off the expectation of I need to be doing my to-do list when I need to actually be eating yeah. or yeah. resting or whatever. I'm yeah. a broken <laughs> record on that with her. Well, <laughs> I'm working <laughs> on it. By doing this in order, though, it's really critical the order that you do it in because um, it. Oh, physiological. I, yeah, because when you take care of when you take that out of the picture where that's no longer an issue, you've gotten enough rest, you've you've eaten or whatever, it just makes a problem this this big, this much smaller to deal with. And it just oh, makes it's like sure. the hierarchy of needs, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Okay, so physical first, then what? Then spiritual. Yeah. Then emotional and intellectual. Yeah. And then spiritual, and then what? Emotional. Oh, sorry. When was mental? 
intellectual, so intellectual, and, intellectual and emotion and then, go together. Yeah. They, I just, we just have one category for those oh. together. Yeah. Yeah. And because like this, once you take care of the physical side, then I often find that when I take care of my oh, physical needs. Sorry. I just wondered if that was before or after emotional for you. Okay. So first is physiological. Okay. Then second is spiritual. spiritual. Third is both emotional and mental. Mm. Yes. Okay. And, yeah. Interesting. And okay. and we have a bunch of different things. You kind of little check boxes. You can like yeah, go through go each through. area to make sure that you know you've you've got it addressed. You know. Because when I've taken care of my immediate physical needs, then I actually find that I can hear the spirit better. Mm -hmm. When I'm not tired, when I'm not stressed or anxious you know, then I can hear the spirit and then I can tap into resources that are, we have these huge, beautiful resources that Heavenly Father gives us that we can tap into so that when we go to the next one, which was intellectual and mental, you know, the, the, the job suddenly becomes even lighter. Right. See how each step, it, it helps to lighten when you get to actually addressing the problem, you have just made, made it from this big to this big and it seems totally manageable at that point well you know much more manageable so I, so I bring that up because you know we said so balance you, you know you want to think about it in all of those areas now if there's an emotional yeah. imbalance right or some kind of a relationship problem that is where there's judgment or expectation mm -hmm. i just want to put that into context no that's a great point yeah and they can show up in the other areas, but they're not as prominent and it's not quite in the same way. I like the um, acronym HALT, <laughs> Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. Yes. You think yourself through each one of those letters and see if you've got something. But we're constantly on. improving our list and adding to it or refining it, you know, because sure. we're, we're constantly coming up against new, um, new barriers or new obstacles. And we're like, we should really add that to the list to make sure that like, if somebody is going through it, they can they can find their obstacle on that list and go, this is what it is, so that they can take care of it. Right. I want to just mention going back just a little bit. When we recognize that we have a judgment or an expectation, that is not the time to beat ourselves over the head you... that we have it. Okay. That's that's compounding the problem once it does again. Does not right? serve you. So, so you don't want to get, you, you, you want to accept and allow yourself to have judgments and expectations, just that they're on a high priority to address. Right. Yes. And having compassion with ourselves when we're becoming more aware of how we're not serving our best interest when, you know, right. and how we're showing up is really a key component because otherwise we might get, just get stuck in more judgment. Exactly. Well, the whipping stick is not part of the process. Yeah, there, there is no place in that process of balance where it says, pull out your whipping stick and make sure you give yourself a few stripes, you know, and that will get you balanced. No, it will not. Yeah, we think that that's part of it. And it's like, no, it doesn't serve. There's no purpose in it, you know? Yeah, well, like, I love this interview. I'm sure we could like talk more and maybe we'll have another chance to do that again, but we do have to wrap up. So I I was hoping that, and, and yes, absolutely. That is a key, like to being more aware and really working on yourself is, is having self-love and self-compassion along the way and along that path. Now, <laughs> out there that are had, really wanting to know. Yeah. And you had mentioned to me that like, um, you had mentioned earlier, and this was just a 
tiny little snippet in the conversation, but I thought this might be a good thing to end on. Um, you had mentioned you have to do the personal work in order to show up and be able to receive love from someone. And I remember when I was dating, thinking, oh, I just want somebody to come into my life and love me. I just want someone to come into my life and be my partner. I just want to have someone to come into my life and be someone I can love. And because right. I have all this loving energy and I want to put it somewhere. And I felt like, I, I felt like, you know, that like, oh, I just want to, I want to be able to love someone. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I had gotten that far, but there was this, this thought that came to me that you need to be ready to receive it. Like that's on you. No one else can come along and make you feel their love for you. And might I point out too, that you mentioned that you have all this love loving energy. I love that. It's beautiful because I, I thought the same thing. Um, and the thing that I think that we sometimes forget is to use some of that energy and redirect it back to ourselves. Because what it does is it, it changes who we are inside and suddenly makes us more attractive to those same people that we want to uh, appeal to. Yep. And you know? we get to receive their love because when you give love to someone, the most heartbreaking thing is when they won't receive it. Yes. Right. And yeah. it's not on you and you can't make them. Yeah. And the, the first and great commandment or the second great commandment is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. If we love ourselves, nothing, that means we're supposed to love everybody else. Nothing. And to expect uh -huh. nothing. But if we're, but if we love ourselves, so we need to love ourselves, like as much as we love other people. That means investing time. That means investing energy in, into ourselves, into improving ourselves and being better. I mean, and I know it's not I like conceited or arrogant or selfish oh, no. is the no. love that God gives us that we came with access to that. He wants us to receive from him. It's he wants sure. us to receive through our savior, Jesus Christ. He wants us to receive the gifts he's offering and being able to receive the gifts other people are offering in his name and in that loving energy. I call that spiritual confidence. Because it's not arrogance. It's like it's a peaceful, um, no need to be be more or less than anybody else. But it's a peaceful confidence in who you are and and who you are through God. You know. Yeah, I love that. And um, oh, it, we we started our podcast just so you know with, um, God is love, so are we. Yes, And we went on to cultivating love for thy God, for thyself and for thy neighbor and, and the, how important all three are. And they are really symbiotic. I mean, it's not like one is more important than the other. It's just that, um, we can't miss one and then still have the rest healthy. Like it's all important. Let me ask you before we wrap up, uh, if people want your services or would like to invite you to speak or anything like that, where can they find Or you? they just want to friend Syrah for her stubbornness <laughs> of joy. Yes. Addiction to friends. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so you can find, so I have a website called ericpapstlifecoach.com. You can find me on Facebook, Eric Pabst Life Coach. And then of course you can reach out to Syrah on Facebook, Syrah May Mangus Pabst. Yep. Um, and uh, she's working on towards uh, doing her own like coaching business and everything. I'm not there yet. So, yeah. And I have my own um, single adult events uh, mm -hmm. that I do. Um, I um, Cancer's kind of put a, a pause on it right now, unfortunately, but I was doing them basically all over the U.S. And the last one, the last big one we did in Tennessee, 
we had people from 26 different states, wow. um, almost 90 people that, that attended and, and it was fantastic. It was awesome. And it was, and so even though I'm married now, that's still my passion. I plan on doing that. So I'm trying to stay connected with the single adult community for that reason, because my passion has not changed. Those 15 yeah, we, years sunk deep into my heart. So yeah. and we, we were there this. as long as you were, but we were there long enough. And yeah, and yeah we've had this the same passion. We yeah. love to see how the movement is growing throughout the church, it seems like. Oh, I know. It's coming all over. Including and helping the mid-singles to heal. and It's beautiful. And you don't have to have a ton of money to do it. You just got to know how. Right. And, and on that note, I would like to say, if you've listened to this entire interview, you can see that Eric and Syra are a couple that connected over personal development and growth. Yes. We relate to that because that was our point of connection from the very beginning. And we just want to say, go and do that likewise. It's beautiful <laughs> when you put in the effort and the work, yeah. trust me. The things that, you, that I have this saying where I said, this is where one and one make a hundred. Mm. Yeah. And for us, one and one equals 11, which is more than the sum of its parts. And, and we were married on the 11th of May and we're exactly oh, I love that. Part. So that's our number. It's our synergistic number. It's cool. the same idea. Yep. It's where what, what you two separate, you're valuable, you have a value but you put you together, the right combination, having done the right work can just, oh, the explosions, beautiful, beautiful, true yeah. stuff. It feels like magic. Yes, it, it does. is. It, does. it feels like fog nine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nine. Remember fog nine. And also remember that any time is a great time for more love in your life. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guests, Eric and Syra Pabst. Please share LilyPod with those you love who could benefit from what we share here. We invite you to sign up for our elevating weekly Lily letter, subscribe to LilyTube, and enjoy other life-affirming content at loveinlateryears.com. Email us to request a free 15-minute Lily coaching discovery call. We are here to support you.